You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys for Monday the 19th of September 2016. This is episode number 29. My guest on today's podcast is Jennifer Blanchard, my first guest from the USA. Jennifer is a best-selling author, professional novelist and a story coach who turns struggling novelists into writers of books that keep readers hooked from page one. It took her 18 years to publish her debut novel because, as Jennifer says, she fell victim to the belief that because she had read lots of stories, it meant that she could also write one. Jennifer has written fiction and non-fiction books and has been featured on numerous high-profile online websites such as Huffington Post, Copyblogger and Problogger. The first question that I asked Jennifer was why it had taken her so long to get that first novel written and then published. It's not that it took that long to write it, but it took that long to publish because I, well, first of all, I spent the first 13 years of that journey completely oblivious to what it really takes to write a good novel. So um, I almost was not even willing to learn. I just, I did the same thing that every other writer does, which is since I've read a novel, I can write a novel. (laughs) Mm. Um, But that's definitely not true. And um, as you go into the journey of writing a novel, you start to discover that um, at least you do if you actually keep going. Not everybody does. Some people start for a few years and then quit. Uh, But it was just one of those things I knew I had to do. So about 13 years into my journey, I discovered story structure and learned what it really takes to write a good novel. And so then I spent five years actually studying structure and learning how to tell a good story and practicing and writing novels and, and just really, you know, honing the craft. And then after 18 years, I finally felt ready, like I had a good story and I was ready to put it out there. So that's why it took me so long. What I found particularly interesting about that is you have 15 years experience as a professional writer and you've got a journalism degree. So, so you were a writer to Mm -hmm. begin with. And yet you still had those quite typical author struggles. Yeah, I think because, and I think it had to do with being a trained journalist. So like as a journalist, they teach you things like short and sweet. Don't put fluff in there. Don't describe stuff. All we want is the facts. And so it almost becomes the opposite of being a fiction writer. The complete opposite. Because in fiction, it's all about description and writing, you know, dialogue and all these things that you don't do in journalism. And so I wrote ebooks with no problem. I published my first one in 2010, my second one in 2012. And, you know, that was never an issue for me, writing blog posts and all that stuff. But the fiction was where I just had so much more struggle, I think, because I kind of lost that, um, that just being really good at being descriptive and stuff. Because when I was younger and I started writing, you know, when I was in really young, I mean, I was 11, 12 years old when I started writing fiction, I was really good at description back then. And I was really good at writing fiction. And then I went to journalism school and kind of lost that. So I almost feel like I spent a lot of years relearning how to write fiction. And you say that you studied story structure. Is there any particular model that you follow? I know there are all sorts of different structure models out there. Do you have a system that you follow in particular? Yes, absolutely. So there is an author, uh, his name is Larry Brooks, and he has a book called Story Engineering. And in there, he basically talks about the three-act movie structure, but broken down in structure for a novelist. So he calls it four-part structure, 
it's kind of the same thing as the three act structure. It's just that act two is split into two parts because it actually has two different contexts, which isn't really accounted for in the three act structure as much as it is breaking it out into four parts, which is why I love his version. Cause I think it makes the most sense and it make made it easier for me to understand what needed to be happening in the story in each of the little acts and what the character had to be doing. And then, of course, the structure itself, you know, the different plot points and where they take place in the story and why they take place and all of that. So I'm I'm a huge fan of, of his teaching. I teach his version of it on my blog and to my clients. And, um, and I always just advocate for people checking out his book because it really did change my life. And I was lucky because I actually found him in 2009 before that book even existed. So he actually at that point, just had a blog, and um, he wrote, like, an ebook about it, and so I actually found it then, wrote wrote so much about it on my own blog, it changed my life so much, and then about a year later, Writer's Digest picked the book up and published it as an actual book. So when it came to your first fiction book then, how, how did, knowing all about that structure, how did that help you to write the book? And were you a, an intricate planner, or did you just, once you got that basic structure, did you wing it around the structure? Oh, no, I plan everything. So I think that was the biggest thing I learned from learning about structure was that I couldn't, I couldn't be one of those writers who writes by the seat of my pants. So I tried that previously before I learned about structure and it just never worked. I ended up with a mess of a draft and I'm just one of those people who, if I'm going to have to rewrite this whole draft more than one time, I'm probably not finishing it because it's just too much for me. I can't handle it. I, I'm somebody who needs to be productive, get it done and move on to the next thing. And I couldn't do that. With the novel, I, w- I had been working on this one novel for like two years, three years, whatever. It just was not happening for, for me. And so now I plan everything. And I also work with a story coach, Larry, because I know that I'm too close to my own stuff to really see it clearly. So I come up with my concept and premise and I figure out my structure and then I just contact him and I have him look at it for me and then tell me, you know, this, that and the other, fix this or do this. And I kind of just try to go from there. So that's for me been the best thing is just really coming up with what's my ending and what's going to happen in order to get me there. And what's my first plot point and what's going to be that thing in the middle that changes the direction of the story and makes it, you know, change it for the reader and also for the character. And so just really thinking about all those things that most people just sit down and start writing. Like I can't do that anymore. So I know now that putting a novel together is so much harder and so much more than you realize it is. And so, to really sit down and think you could do all of that without planning it ahead of time is, I don't know, in my mind, it's pretty ridiculous. So, um, but that's just me. I mean, maybe some people can do it. Maybe they have a good sense of story and so they can just sit down and do it. But I just didn't have that. So I needed to, to really build it for myself. And so now I could probably do that, but I still wouldn't. And you said, and I'm pleased to hear this, that you don't really like the editing process. That's a bit I don't like either. So how do you get over that? Do you write fairly accurately on the first take or does it have to go to somebody else for editing? Well, I always, I mean, everything I do goes to an editor because obviously I want it to be grammatically correct. I want spelling to be fixed as much as possible. I mean, obviously we're not going to catch everything, but the thing that I don't love is revising forever. Cause I think some mm. people will write a draft quickly and then all of a sudden it's like three years down the line and they're still revising the same story. And, and for me, that's just a no go. <laughs> like I can't do that. So um, by planning everything ahead of time, I actually end up with a really decent first draft. I mean, it's not like perfect and it's not great, but it's decent. And so I can really take probably 65 to 70% of that 
and use it in the revised version and then just add new things that need to be, you know, stuff that maybe happened along the way that needed to be connected better or that needs more backstory or something like that. But the point is, most of what I did in the first draft is still usable because I spent so much time thinking and planning it ahead of time. So like the novel that I published in 2015, I actually planned for eight months before I actually wrote the draft. So, and and I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing that either, but for me, that was the learning process was like doing it, practicing, trying again. And now I can do it much faster than that, obviously. When I look at your Amazon author page, we've got uh, seven nonfictions there and one fiction. Is that right? Have I got the the tally right? Yeah. Yeah. So why then so much nonfiction? Do you have a preference for that? I think the nonfiction just comes so much easier easier to me because I'm, like I said, I'm a trained journalist, so my mind really thinks in that sort of nonfiction book type structure. And so for me, those almost feel like like writing a really long blog post, whereas a novel feels like an actual book to me, like a big book project. And so I just, I realized that earlier this year. So I realized that I had been kind of treating my nonfiction and my fiction almost similarly, where it was like, I felt like I had to have six months on it and, you know, or a year and I can only do one book. And then I realized, no, an ebook and nonfiction ebook is really just like a long blog post. And I can do that without a problem. So I just kind of got out of my own way and just said, I'm going to just do it. And I had tons of ideas in my head for years. I have probably a hundred ideas written down of stuff I could write, nonfiction stuff. And um, I may not write all of them, but the point is I've got a lot of ideas and not that I don't have a lot of fiction ideas, but like I said, those to me are more just they take longer to develop and to really connect all the pieces and to make everything work cohesively. And so it's just a bigger process for me. And so I feel like I can do one novel a year and do a really good job, but I don't think I could do more than that, maybe two maximum. Whereas nonfiction, if I just get out of my own way and actually sit down and do the writing, I can crank those out with no problem. What about the, the length of the fiction versus the nonfiction? Can, do you think you can do shorter books when they're nonfiction, more targeted? Yes. Yeah, that's the other thing. I think with ebooks especially, they can be kind of short and sweet. So, like, they don't have to be 300 pages in order to be something that people find of value. So, like, my newest ebook that I just did, The 15-Minute Writer, that one is actually only 36 pages. But it's gotten me the most reviews. It's gotten the most downloads, the most people buying it. Um, it's sat at number one for almost an entire month in July when I, since it came out, which is crazy. But the idea was just because it was so short and sweet, people were actually able to read the whole thing. And then they would go review it and say, this was so awesome because it was short and I'm so busy that this was you know, really nice to have the ability to be able to read this quickly and then take action right away and not have to sit there through you know, 300 pages before I can actually do something with it. With it. So I think, yeah, there is a big difference between writing a novel and then writing something that's nonfiction because you can, I always say the length isn't about something specific. The length is whatever is needed in order to convey the information and to make it valuable. And so sometimes that's short and sometimes it's long. So I have some ebooks that are like 118 pages. I have some that are 90, um, you know, that kind of thing. So they're sort of all over the place. I'm really interested in that because not, I think the title is great, The 15-Minute Writer. That, that's really appealing to people who are short on time. Do, yeah. do you know what the word count is on that? You gave us the page count. Do you know what the word count is? Oh, off the top of my head, I'm going to guess 5,500. Wow. That, well, that's really interesting that that's selling so well, yet that's actually a very achievable length of book for a, for somebody, for a first-timer, isn't it? It's very achievable. Absolutely. And I think Amazon actually has a category for books that take less than two hours to read. 
And so that's the category that it's kind of been um, stuck at number one in, in, you know, Amazon.com is because it's short and sweet. People can read it quickly and it's not like it's going to take them forever to do it. So. Well, you sparked off an idea there because I think that's very interesting and it's good that that's done so well. Uh, with what kind of marketing? Has it had a really big marketing push or has it sold itself? Um, honestly, it's kind of sold itself. I mean, I did nothing. I didn't do anything. So I actually, when I first launched it, I was participating with a group of other authors who were doing like a 99 cent book promo. So there was nine of us and we all shared the, like there was one page that had all the books listed and then the links to go to the Amazon pages to buy them. And so all of those authors shared that with their list for like the whole day and we promoted it on our social media. And so I kind of got lucky because I had more than just myself promoting it for me this time. And so that helped a lot. And then I also run a paid promo. Every time I launch a book, I launch it with the paid promo from, um, they're called Buck Books and they do 99 cent books and they do like a promo and they send them out every day. I think they have like five different books available each day. And, um, and that's helped too. But I mean, honestly, it's because I have so many books out that Amazon just recommends the books to the people who are looking at it. And it's like, oh, here's five other books by the same author. And so I think they're, they're kind of selling themselves in that way. And then I also make sure to have some sort of a promo at the end of each book for another book or for my Facebook group, if you want to go join my free group, or sometimes I have something in there for like another product that I offer. Um, I've had people contact me about like coaching and stuff through my books. So that's been kind of awesome, too. You've got all sorts going on. How would you describe yourself? Uh, an author, an authorpreneur, an entrepreneur? Yeah. Authorpreneur. Yeah. I always say authorpreneur yeah. because I feel like that's really, I mean, I am an entrepreneur, of course, but I see myself as an author more than anything. So I would call it myself an authorpreneur because I feel like that's really an author who diversifies and who doesn't just do one thing. How important do you think that is? For people listening to this who maybe have written one book or haven't written their first book yet, how important is it, do you think, to, to think just beyond the writing of the books? I think it's dependent on the person's goals. So, like, if you are somebody who just wants to write and that's it, then you don't really have to worry about that. But if you're a writer who wants to make a living from it and who wants to actually make a decent amount of money and make an impact, I think there is a lot of um, strength in diversifying and in thinking about, okay, I have this book. How can I leverage this? Can I make an e-course? Can I do a free checklist or something that leads people to buy the book? Can I do a, you know, a workshop about this? I mean, there's a lot of things you can do to kind of diversify and, and use what you've already got to leverage for other things. Now, I discovered you through a Huffington Post article. It was called Why I'm Writing and Publishing Nine New Books This Year. And that uh, hook, that t tagline really caught my attention. There are a couple of things I just want to drill down into in that article uh, you, you said there you've got five books published at the time four ebooks one novel you said your books were selling okay but i was making like 30 dollars to 40 dollars a month on amazon and and i read that and i thought that really uh, really resonates with me because I, i've written the books and just it's hard to get out of that sort of slush zone where, where you're selling some but just not enough it's not a business is it and and, and um, you sound like you've moved beyond that now have you yeah i have Okay, so tell us how you did that, because that's, that's the holy grail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I would have to say that, I mean, this is going to sound really, really strange, but honestly, the biggest thing that I've done this year that has made a difference in the books I'm selling and all of that is, is that I've gotten my mindset in the right place. So mindset is absolutely, I would say, 90% of success, if not more than that. So yes, you have to take practical, physical actions and move in the direction of where you want to go, but if you can get yourself there in your mind first, you can 
can create something so much bigger in your actual reality. And so I think for me, that's really been the difference is because I look back and say, the only thing that's changed is just my commitment and my determination to say, this is going to work no matter what, because I'm not willing to accept anything else. And so that decision, when I made that decision back in April this year, I think has been the biggest factor that changed everything because I already had books out. So it's not like I didn't have books out already. And now all of a sudden I do. It's like now I just decided that I was going to be a successful self-published author and that I wasn't willing to do anything else except that. And so by making that decision and by focusing on it and every single day I have a mindset practice that I do, I I actually do it several times a day and it's just really keeps me focused on creating what I want. And so a lot of what I do, I think is, I, I call it manifestation marketing. That's kind of my little term for it. But the idea is just using that whole law of attraction thing combined with the practical physical actions to make it work better. And so I feel like that's kind of what I've been doing this year is like getting my mind in the right place and using my mind to create stuff and then also taking practical physical actions that tie into those mindset things. And the other thing you said on your blog, you said I was I was playing small, publishing maybe one book a year if I got around to it, acting like I have a million more years to live my life as me. So like you've got all the time in the world. You, you sound like you really ramped up your productivity then. Yeah, I did because I realized that I wanted to be an author who has a huge catalog of books. And so I asked myself in April, am I, am I there? And it's like, no, am I doing what it takes to be that author? Well, no, I'm not. And that I think is the other thing was I made the decision to be that person right now, even if I didn't see it happening in my reality. And even if it wasn't true yet, I decided that I was just going to act like that person every single day. So whatever I had to do to do that, I actually have a bracelet that I wear every single day that says, what would a pro writer do? And so I ask myself every day, and especially when I don't feel like doing the writing or when I'm not being productive, I look at that and I ask myself, what would a pro writer do in this situation? And it's like, well, a pro writer would sit down and do the work. You know, a pro writer would write their book or they would skip this social gathering to actually get something done. And so that's sort of how I live my life now is just every day I try to just act like the person who already has the success that I want. And by doing that, I'm actually creating it. I'm very uh, similar to you in that I, I write fast. So I'm, I, this is another reason why I was very interested to talk to you because nine new books in a year um, doesn't frighten the life out of me. And, you know, I know it's doable, but I know it would frighten the life out of a lot of people who saw that. Yeah. So there's absolutely <laughs> no way could, you know, a human Most being Most people think I'm insane. That. Yeah. Most people either tell me I'm insane or they tell me things like, I would never read a book from somebody who writes that many in a year. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, like trying to it? act like it wouldn't be like, oh, if you write nine books in a year, they can't be any good. It's like that's just a but that's just a limited way of thinking. And, and I choose to see it that way. You know, that's just their limitations, not mine. How do you get nine books written in what it's one a month, isn't it? As far, is that roughly where we are? Yeah, one a month. Yep. OK. Are they going to be roughly how many words? I mean, it depends on the book, really. So the one I did in June was 26,000 words, and the one I did in July was like 5,500. So um, it just really depends on the topic and what I'm doing for the month. Um, Something I'm trying to do more of this year is doing sort of, I call them multimedia interactive e-books, but it's like taking additional content, so like videos or MP3s that I've recorded or worksheets that I've made and linking to them in the book and almost making them like a big part of the book. So I actually did a book in May called Align Your Writing Habits to Success, and it's a 30-day, sort of like a workshop, I guess, but I started it as a challenge, 
And so each day has a worksheet that goes with it and an MP3 that you can listen to. And it just helps you build those skills to actually get yourself to a place where you're aligned with the success that you want to create. And so that's a part of it as well. So almost sometimes the books are short, but they've got a lot of content in them. Yeah, I like that. I was uh, looking at some of your free stuff. I, I got I downloaded some of your free sheets, and I love the way that you link to the videos. I, I think that I think it was a great idea. So what a great idea that is! It's really, and it makes it, um, it, it gets you to know, like, and trust the author too, doesn't it? It, it? It's almost like, as you say, like a speaking book. But rather than me just read your words, I get to meet you too, which must help your back catalogue as well. I think it does. So I think that because ever since I put out the Align Your Writing Habit book in May, which is the very first one I did after I decided I was going to publish nine this year. That was the first one. Um, I mean, ever since then, it's been amazing. And I think that is a big part of it is because people feel kind of like they know me and they feel like they're on the journey with me because that book was all about how I went through being the writer that I wasn't and how I became that writer. So it's like the 30 day challenge that I did for myself, I wrote about and it's, it's pretty much that book. So it's sharing what I went through, what I was experiencing and how I dealt with it and how I got you know, to the other side, basically. So I think because it felt so personal that people are resonating with it a lot more and they're connecting with it more because they are in that same place. Like they see themselves as an author who has a ton of ideas, a ton of books inside them. They're just not doing the work. And so that was really the idea of that book is if you see yourself as that person, I'm going to show you how to become that person. You strike me as being quite a technically skilled person because you've talked about making videos. You've talked about MP3s. You're clearly creating uh, PDF files that you're giving away for free as well. And, and we'll talk about the course and the teaching that you're doing as well. W- would you rate yourself uh, as good with digital gear and kit? Yeah, I would say I'm pretty tech savvy, um, mostly because, I mean, I've always kind of been good at that stuff. And, and I grew up sort of on the tail end of the before the technology age was like a big thing now. So like I, I was born in 1983, so kind of sort of computers existed, but not really. And then all of a sudden, as I got older, they started becoming the norm. And so I almost feel like I've kind of been good at tech stuff ever since I was young. But um, the other thing was when I started my blog in 2008, I just knew that I didn't have the funds to pay somebody to do all the stuff that I wanted to do. And so I had to teach myself how to do it all. Uh, um, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody because it's definitely frustrating and it can be a big learning curve, but I'm grateful that I did it because now I can do that stuff on the fly if I want to and I don't have to hire somebody to help me or be on someone else's schedule waiting for them to do the work so that I can do the work. Were you always going to go into self-publishing or did you ever aspire to be traditional? Um, Well, not to say that I don't ever aspire to traditional, but honestly, self-publishing has always been in the forefront of my mind because when I was 13, I wrote a novella and I wanted to publish it. And this was back in 1996 when self-publishing was like very expensive. It was like $2,500 to $5,000 to publish one book. And and so I had been looking into it because I just knew it was something that was happening at the time. It just wasn't affordable for me, but it was kind of something I always knew I would eventually do. And as I got older and I realized that, like, I'm one of those people who likes having control of their stuff and and wants to keep most of that control, it just made the most sense to me. And I feel like if I do ever traditionally publish, it's going to be after they have come to me with a big enough contract that makes it worth my while. Because otherwise, there's no point. I'm doing so well with the self-publishing. Why would I give them my money? (laughs) I mean, that's just kind of how I see it, you know. And I I don't want to give up that control either. It's like... I'm going to do it when they're going to come to me with a $3 million contract and let me do whatever I want, basically. If you can be successful at it 
why go to somebody else? I mean, you have to be willing to do the work, though. That's the thing, because I think a lot of authors think, oh, I'm just going to write this book and publish it, and it's going to sell itself, and that's absolutely not the case. Now, when you've got several books out there, yeah, then they might sell each other, but until then, it's not going to sell itself. You have to learn how to do the marketing, and if you're not willing to do that, and I think a lot of people aren't willing to because it's that out of their comfort zone, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm afraid to learn kind of a thing. Well, if that's the case and you really aren't willing to learn, go traditional because you're wasting your time with the self-publishing route. And because you're not willing to put the work behind it, I feel like that's the reason that people say self-publishing doesn't work because most people aren't willing to do the work to make it work. And so that's, I don't know, that's just my recommendation. If you're not willing to learn, you're not really, self-publishing probably isn't for you. But for me, you know, I was willing to. And on top of that, I sort of have a marketing background because I had seven years in corporate jobs where I was doing marketing stuff. So for me, it just felt like a natural fit to just keep keep going in that path. I think one of the things that strikes me when I look at your social media presence is that you clearly do the work. So what does a good work day look for you? Bearing in mind, you've got these nine books to write before the end of the year. How, how do you spend your day? Well, I definitely get up as early as I can get myself up. So I'm not really good at mornings because I'm kind of a night owl and I like to stay up till like 2 a.m. most days. So, but I try to get myself up by like 7.38. And the first thing I do is work on my mindset stuff. So I immediately, when I wake up, that's the first thing I do. My mindset practice, um, I do some journaling. I will do some visualization exercises. I take my dog out for a walk. So I kind of just set up my morning to be very like, just get my energy in the right place. And then the rest of the day is just really focusing on, I would say my top five priorities, which are um, getting my message out there. It's selling stuff. So whether that's just selling something that I'm charging for or selling something that's free. So just trying to get people interested in a freebie I'm offering. Um, I try to always do my writing as a focus. So I blog every day or most days. Um, I have my book stuff. So I at least do 15 to 30 minute sessions at least once a day, sometimes more on the book I'm working on at the moment. And I really just try to make sure I'm doing that stuff every single day, no matter what. And it's not always easy, but I, I think I put a lot of accountability into my life for that reason so that I do the work. And I'm part of a lot of mastermind groups and I've got some paid ones and some free ones. And um, just all of that, I think, helps a lot. And then, of course, it's that question again, what would a pro writer do? Because what would a pro writer do? Well, a pro writer would show up every day and do the work, put their stuff out there on social media, even if no one was sharing it, even if no one even saw it. Like, you're just going to do it like someone is because that's the idea. Act as if it's already happened. And so that's kind of what I try to do. It's a really interesting concept there. Can I, can I dig into what you do to get your mindset right? Do you use any tools, any apps or anything? Could you just tell us what you use for that? Sure. So I, okay, so first of all, I do what I call write your reality. So I have a journal and every single day I write at least a page, but sometimes two to three pages. And I just basically set intentions for what I want to see happen that day, that month, or just in general. So I'll be saying things like, I'm a, you know, kick-ass author. I am selling 500 books a day. I am, you know, whatever. So whatever I'm trying to create in that moment, I just write it like it's already happened. So it's kind of like that idea of acting as if, pretending it's already happened and just talking about it like it has. So I write that way and it really gets your mind focused on this has already happened. This is a done deal. And then some other stuff I do, I've got, like I said, I do some visualizations. So I'll do three to four minutes a day just visualizing the end result of what I want to see happen whether that's for a certain goal I have or just in general, my writing life. Um, I have a, at night, I listen to Create Wealth and Success. It's a hypnosis audio that I listen to, and I got it from my iTunes store. 
And um, I listen to that when I go to sleep at night. And I don't know if it helps or not, but I think it might. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's just a nice little way to just focus your mind when you're sleeping on like, this is what you're trying to create, you know, this like wealth and success sort of a thing. So that's kind of part of it. And then just throughout the day, I have like, I have in my phone, I call them manifestation breaks, but basically three to four times a day, my phone will, like my alarm will go off and it will basically just remind me to take a minute to just really think about what I'm going to create or what I want to create and to just like feel it like it's already happened. So I'm kind of just, even for 30 seconds, just imagining like this has already happened. It's a done deal. And just kind of like letting that be a part of my mindset practice. I'm reading so much about this now. You know, when you read so much about something, you think, you know what, these people can't be wrong. There's so many people telling me about the importance of, you know, meditation in the morning, um, you know, trying to get your mind right before you do the work. And, and you, you, you're doing exactly that. Yeah. And you, you feel that it's attributable to the success that you're experiencing at the moment? I mean, I would, I would say it's a 90%, if not more. And I know wow. that sounds crazy, but honestly, I'm not doing anything different. Like I've always been writing books. I've always been creating content. I've always been putting stuff out there. It's just now I'm doing it with an intention and a very powerful one, as opposed to just putting it out there without that. So it's like by having the intention and every day I write all my books hit number one, all my books, you know, are bestsellers. And so not that that's become true for all of them, but it's become true. I mean, I've had two books so far hit multiple categories on multiple days at number one on Amazon. So it's totally possible. And I know it's from programming that into my mind over and over again. And I think it also goes into the core belief I've always had since I was a kid, which is whatever you set your mind to, you can create, which is what my mom always told me when I was growing up. And so I've just believed that my whole life. And so anything I wanted, I knew that if I decided that I was going to do it, it was going to happen. And and that's been true for anything that I've done. And I, I will say that any big dream I've had, I've always achieved. And it's because of that focus and knowing that like, if I decide it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm interested to see that you're using Facebook Live at the moment. Mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering how you're getting on with that because I'm seeing a lot of uh, authors beginning to use it. Is, is it. How does it work? Is it is it good for you? It's nice. Yeah, I actually, I started off with Periscope last year. So last year in October, I did this thing I called National Story Planning Month. So I, I set like a specific day. So I actually made up National Story Planning Day. So October 25th is National Story Planning Day. So I did a live workshop that day via live stream. And then I actually did a bunch of live streams that month leading up to Nano, like trying to get people planning their stories before they sit down and write 50,000 words. And so by doing that, I actually realized like, oh, live stream is pretty cool. People can interact with you. And so Facebook, once they started doing the live streaming, it just made sense to move it over there because that's where my audience is anyway. And so, um, you know, the only problem with Facebook is that you, the algorithms are kind of messy. So you don't always get the views that you want, but as long as you share them other places, you can sort of ramp that up a little bit. So like I'll do a live stream on my page and then I'll share it to my Facebook group or I'll share it on my personal page. So that way people are seeing it other places and not just having to come to my business page. You've done the group now, which is write and publish a nonfiction ebook in only 10 days. Uh, that title would make many people gasp if they've not written a book before, but you, you've, you've proven that it's possible. So what are we doing in that course? What, what's the, it sounds like a bit of a boot camp. Are you strict with people? Yeah. So basically what I'm doing is I'm just walking them through exactly what I did in July to get my book done in 10 days. So I, I have certain like a checklist for each day of what you should be doing. And each day has its own stuff. Obviously there's three to four days where you're just writing and that's it because obviously you have to write the book and get it out there. So that's a big part of it. But then the other part is actually doing the finishing parts. Cause I think a lot of times people write the book, but they never go all the way with it. So 
I kind of wanted to just take that extra step and show them that like, it's not that hard to self-publish an ebook if you do the work. So it's like, I'm going to have training on how to do a cover design and training on how to actually upload and publish on Amazon. So you can see exactly what to do and not have to be afraid of the tech part. Because I think that also happens a lot is people are very afraid of the tech part, especially if they're not very tech savvy. A lot of the people who are attracted to what I do tend to be older. So like people who didn't grow up with computers or with technology. So they're not as apt to like go out there and learn how to use it. So I wanted to kind of just make it easier for them. And and by having a group of people all at the same time doing this, it's more motivational, I think, to keep going and to actually do the work because you don't feel as alone as you do when you're normally just writing and publishing a book. And then what kind of commitment does this take for you? Because you've got your writing to do as well when you're teaching courses. Does it Does it disrupt the writing at all? No, not at all. Because I do this full time. So, I mean, I have I have my writing t- time in my day and then I have my creation time for the stuff that I'm doing for my workshop. So, you know, I do that stuff in the morning usually. I usually have my writing time later at night because I tend to just be better focused later at night. And so I try to just do my other stuff during the day, my social media, my content for my workshops, working with my, you know, private clients and all that. And then at nighttime is really the time that I don't do anything other than work on my writing and, and my books and stuff. So I have my whole day. I mean, for me, that's what I do full time. So it's it's a little bit easier than it is for someone who's got a day job on top of everything else. You've done well to get that article published in Huffington Post, but you've also got articles published in Pro Blogger, Copy Blogger, um, Story Fix. You know, you, you've obviously got a strategy of getting your content into these high profile outlets. How do you do that, and how much does it help? Well, that's guest posting has been definitely the number one way that I've grown my audience and grown my following and gotten my stuff out there. Um, I'm I'm very, very big on guest posting because of that reason. Now, that doesn't always mean that it works great. Depends on where you're guest posting. So like HuffPost is awesome because it's HuffPost, obviously, and you feel like everybody knows what it is. But as far as like getting me traffic to my stuff, it doesn't really do that great for that. So it's more just for exposure purely because it's tough post. <laughs> so it's like mm. you're on there and it's good. But for me, the best traffic has come from like story fix. So like a writing site, a site that's dedicated to writing. Those types of sites have been better for me because my target audience is writers and authors. So it's helped a lot to have guest posts all over the place and not just on big name sites. But obviously you found me from health posts. So there is something to say about being on a site like that. Can you tell me a little bit about StoryFix? That's not a site that I know much about. I'm just checking it out now and I'll put it on the show notes. Yeah. So I mentioned Larry Brooks and his book Story Engineering. So StoryFix is actually his blog. So if you don't want to buy the book, you could go to his blog and literally get all of that content in blog form. And um, he's just got so much information on there about how to write good stories and just everything. And he has great guest posters too, like James Scott Bell writes for him and um, our Holcomb writes for him. And both of those people are, you know, pretty well known in the writing industry and the screenwriting industry, especially. So they, um, you know, they write for him. And and so there's a lot of really good knowledge on his site. And that's why I'm a a big fan of it. And because it's aligned with my audience, when I write for his site, I get a lot of new email subscribers and stuff like that, which is also good. Well, I'm subscribing to the feed burner feed on that right now as we speak, because I can see how good that that's really good is it's a very good little site that so uh, thank you for that i shall yeah. i shall look at that uh, what else then do you use in terms of uh, do you use podcasts do, do you listen to podcasts i do listen to some podcasts i'm actually trying to get more into that because i want to create my actually have an idea to create a couple of podcasts myself so that's something i'm sort of working on 
at this point. Honestly, as far as podcasts go, the biggest one I would say, I listen to a couple that are not writing related, but there's one called Success Smackdown, and it's by this really awesome authorpreneur that I am actually, she's my mentor and I'm working with her right now in a program, uh, but she's awesome. She is very motivational. Her stuff is amazing. She's actually, she has 47 books on Amazon, so she's, uh, she's extremely successful as well, and um, she just motivates me because she's so much like I am as far as like just shut up and do the work, you know, that's kind of how she is. And so I love her stuff. Um, there's another podcast, I think it's called Writership or Writeship. I can't remember the exact name, but it's, it's a good podcast and it's very much all about writing a lot of stuff with like screenwriting and things like that. So it's, it's very interesting podcast, mostly for books though, I would say, oh man, there's just so many. I mean, Larry, Larry has a whole series. So he also has story physics, story fix, and those are also really good writing books. Um, Some other ones that I have liked over the years, just in general. So there's one called the writer's idea book and it's by Jack Heffron. He's a writer's digest author. That one is all, it's mostly nonfiction, but it's all different writing prompts and giving you ideas for like getting started, which I always liked it for that reason. Um, Some other good ones. There's actually a series called write great fiction. It's also a writer's digest. I just series and they actually have some on dialogue and description and setting and um, just very specific craft related stuff, which I find to be helpful because not everybody's good at everything. So you can almost pick the thing that you don't know how to do that well and then read that book. So I really like those. Um, there's one. So there's a couple of screenwriting books that I think are interesting only because I know this sounds weird, but writing a novel is not that different than writing a screenplay. It's just the terminology is different and the formatting and, like, the description and stuff. But as far as the structure goes and, like, what has to be happening in the story, very similar, which is why I recommend studying movie structure, looking at, you know, watching movies and stories and how they unfold on the screen, not just in a novel, but really watching that visually and seeing it. Because I almost feel like you can see it better when you study a movie because you're watching it versus reading it and getting lost in the words. So I'm big on that. So the screenplay books, there's one called Screen Screenplay, I think it's called. I guess I'd have to look it up. It's Sid Field. So if you just look up Sid Field, he's pretty much the go-to in the screenplay industry. I think it's called Screenplay. And then there's one, Something Startling Happens. It's by Todd Click. And that one actually gives you breakdown of like... 120 different story beats and like what should happen in each of those moments to make the story work so that's another good one i want to talk to you about branding because your site uh, i'm guessing that blue is your branded color um looking at the site is that that's presumably intentional is it yeah so i'm my website needs to be fixed actually so i'm in the process of redoing it i just got some new pictures done recently and i'm working on new copy right now um but yeah my favorite color is blue and i'm Pretty much that's the only color I resonate with. So I just decided that my branding had to be blue in some way. Not everybody likes it, but I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> it's your side. <laughs> it's not, exactly. I don't, if you don't resonate with it, then, hey, you can go somewhere else. There's plenty of other people who talk about stuff that I talk about. And that's kind of how I see branding now. It's like it's all about being who you are and doing what you care about and what you love and sharing your true message. And people will either resonate with it or they won't. And that's totally fine. I'm not trying to attract everybody. I'm not trying to resonate with everybody. I mean, there was definitely a time when I thought that I had to do that. Like, and I think a lot of authors feel that way. Like, oh, I have to like, let everybody like me. I want everybody to be my fan. But what ends up happening is if you try to do that, if you try to be all things to all people, you end up 
being nothing. So no one cares. No one's paying attention. You're not doing anything of interest that's pushing any buttons or that's getting people, you know, interested. Whereas like what I do now, I just speak my mind about things. I tell people what I really think. I share how I really feel about stuff. Not everybody agrees with me, but the people who do are more attracted to me now and what I'm doing because they resonate with that core message and that deeper connection. It's not just about, you know, putting books out there. It's like, there's more to it. So I think, you know, with the branding thing, you really just have to be who you are, do you, and those people who are meant to be your, your audience and people who are meant to read your stuff will absolutely be attracted to it. It's like that authenticity thing, you know, like just being authentically you is what attracts people. The other thing I noticed, I was reading a blog post about how you had your photographs done. I think you got a a friend or a a colleague in to take the photographs. I I just think it's really interesting. I I did the thing with the photographs too. And and it's one of the things that strikes me about your site, that you've got all these photographs with you holding books and doing all three things. And I just wondered how how important you feel that is for authors to get something like a Photoshop shop done like that. I mean, honestly, those photos, I think, are kind of cheesy now. So I, my new photos, I don't have any props like that, really. I almost feel like back when I did those photos, I was trying to, how do I show what an author looks like, you know? And so I was trying mm. to just play that role. Whereas now my pictures, and they're not up yet, obviously, but my new pictures, I feel like are more me because I'm being represented as those core things that I feel like I am. So if you read the article that I wrote about, you know, how I decided on my brand pictures and all that. It's like I come up with three or four words that I feel like represent me and who I want to be. And then I use that as the guiding point for the picture. So it's like, you know, whatever words I've chosen, those are the words I use for the pictures and for just my brand in general. So it's like, I can look at it and say, okay, does this represent those three words? And if not, then I know I can change it or I know it needs to be changed. I want to dig just before we finish into the yeah. tools that you use to get the writing done. Are you a word user, a Scrivener user? Any little tips and secrets that you can give us? Scrivener. Absolutely Scrivener. So I, I love Scrivener. I honestly only use it to write, though. I know it does all these other cool functions, but I, I haven't learned how to use it for that. I just write. Um, I do all my planning and my outlining and all of my development stuff I do by hand in my moleskin. So I'm like very, very big on moleskin notebooks. I love them. And I've got like 500 of them. <laughs> I have like so many, <laughs> just stacks of them everywhere, half filled, half, you know, not even all the way used, but I just, I love them. So I do all my planning by hand. And then when I'm ready to actually do the writing, I write it directly in Scrivener. And the reason I do that especially is because I feel like it allows me to not get distracted because each scene or each section is in a separate doc on Scrivener. So it's like, I'm not seeing all the stuff I did the day before unless I click on it. It's not like in a Word doc where you can scroll up and you see everything. To me, that's just too distracting and I can't focus. So by having it in Scrivener and in an order, then I can sort of jump around and work on the stuff I want to be working on or write the scenes that I can think of at the moment and not feel like I'm being forced into writing, you know, chapter one, page one, because I'm starting at the beginning and I can't jump around. Bearing in mind, we don't have that many months left in this year. How are you feeling about that nine book tally that you've got? Yeah, it's a little scary. It is because I feel like I'm going to have to publish two books in one month, I think, to actually make nine happen this year. But at the same time, it's okay. I'm like, I'm not, I'm to the point where I'm not attached to it. So I came up with the idea because I knew I needed to push myself out of my comfort zone and I needed to push myself to go bigger and to play bigger than I had been. If I don't hit nine, I don't hit nine. But the point is, am I going to get to the end of the year and look back and get disappointed that I only got seven or that I only had eight? Like, no, of course not. So that's 
the idea is like, go big. You may not hit it, but you are going to come a lot closer and you're probably going to do a lot more than you would have if you only set the goal of doing two. Right. I mean, that's just the whole idea. So yes, I am trying for nine and yes, my goal is to hit nine and I definitely plan on it. But if it didn't happen, I don't think I would look back and be disappointed at, you know, the results I've had so far. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant way of thinking about it. Um, where can we find you online? You're all over the place. Where are the best places to, to start with checking you out online? So probably the best place would be my website, jenniferblanchard.net. I've got a blog there with, you know, over 500 blog posts, all about writing different things, nonfiction, fiction, just the writing life in general, which is something I, I really enjoy writing about. So definitely there. Um, I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash jenniferblanchardwrites. That's another place I'm always posting videos and um, just all kinds of content. And I'm also on Instagram. I'm pretty active on there and I post a lot of stuff on there as well. Oh, at Jennifer Blanchard writes. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.